coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. And I get a call from the FBI. I was in Chicago from the FBI in Chicago office. And he said, uh, we want you to come down to the FBI office in downtown Chicago. Uh, we want to ask you a few questions about this congressman. I'm like a snitch. That's the kind of word that we used to use back in the hood. Uh, I heard on the movies <laughs> with the mob. They document everything. I mean, if you sneeze, they, they document it. And so all of a sudden for there to be gaps and things that disappear, makes people wonder, was this real? There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black the, people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? Not one. Come not on, Bill, one. you got to have one, a nope. token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids, and I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just come to you just to say thank you for all your grace and mercy. Thank you for my friend Bill. Thank you for just grace and mercy and how you continue to bless this podcast and all the great speakers that we have an opportunity to meet, talk, share one's professional point of view, and also find common ground, God. So we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name we pray and believe. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for today, and thank you for my brother, Odell. You know, we both get so busy in our lives, Lord, and uh, uh, please allow us these times that we can get together and, and chat. And uh, as we continue to bond our relationship and, and our wives continue to get to know each other and bond, uh, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to go to Europe with uh, the Clevelands, uh, looking forward to uh, decompressing and unplugging. And Lord, uh, let us not forget, it's because of you that we are able to do these things. The blessings you've given our families, the blessing you've given um, each of us individually when we're not deserving. Lord, thank you so much. We love you. Amen. Amen. Bill, now, all over the news, we have the former president under two investigations, Bill. They're saying that the FBI went to Mar-a-Lago and served a search warrant and went in his house, and they're using terms like it's a snitch in President Trump's camp. And I'm like a snitch. That's the kind of word that we used to use back in the hood. Or I heard on the movies <laughs> with the mob. So they talk about snitch and all that kind of stuff. So what's going on, Bill? You know, what's, what's going on? And I'll tell you what, it's certainly all over the news uh, that they, uh, the FBI went in and I think they took some things. You know, it's, I was listening to the news today. The uh, attorney general has asked the judge 
who granted the search warrant to, you know, all that stuff is um, uh, kept private. I guess they, they can't they can't release it. Trump can talk about it and w- what was in the court order, uh, but uh, the government can't uh, unless the judge orders the, the release of these documents and the attorney general is recommending he release it so we can find out exactly, you know, what, why and who and all that stuff. You know, when things aren't transparent like that, yeah, uh, a couple things. One is the legal system, uh, particularly like grand juries and stuff, is set up to be quiet and confidential so that witnesses can come in and talk straightforward right. and you don't have the pressure. So, um, you know, all these grand juries that are going on, you know, I don't know if it's a witch hunt or not. Um, you know, if you talk to your supporters, they say it's a witch hunt. Uh, well, if it is a witch hunt and they released all the information and there's nothing there. Yeah, I agree with them. It's a witch hunt. But if they release the information and there's there's smoke, there might be fire. You know, if you think back, I, I grew up when Richard Nixon uh, with Watergate. I was actually in D.C. when all that stuff was going on. I was living with a congressman and uh, it was a drip, drip, drip of information until uh, somebody, uh, I think Dean came up forward and he was there, his attorney at the White House. And uh, he talked about some of the stuff. And then it was his word against Nixon's until they till they discovered there were tapes wow and once they discovered there were tapes the commission went for the tapes and nixon fought it and all of a sudden when the tapes came out they published them in a book i remember reading them and it was pretty damning it was pretty damning and uh there were a lot of people on those tapes billy graham was one of them and uh but it was interesting on those tapes when it got to a real critical spot there was nothing it wasn't being tape recorded and they're wondering how did all these other conversations go and all of a sudden at a critical area it's all silent for i think three minutes or 10 minutes or something and they said oh his assistant whose last name was lincoln as a lady uh she accidentally erased those tapes uh because she w- she was the one that would activate it i guess it was a foot activation when people went in, she would activate the machines. Right. You know, technology was different back then. Right, right. And they said she accidentally put her foot on that machine and erased those tapes for the exact time that there was some very controversial and damning information. So I remember the, uh, the news reporters uh, somehow got into her area and sat at her desk and looked at where that button was. And for her to have erased it, uh, was a very um, difficult thing to do physically uh-huh. for some reason. They talked about how she had to reach back behind her or something. And it was, it was pretty obvious somebody had raced, raced the tapes. So all of a sudden we've got, you know, uh, text messages that the secret service had that are no longer there because they were switching over from uh, one service to another. And uh, during that time, these, these tapes, or these text messages were lost. And, you know, I worked in the federal government. They document everything. I mean, if you sneeze, they, they document it. And so all of a sudden for there to be gaps and things to disappear is, is makes people wonder, was this real or was it a setup? And it goes back to this, uh, this warrant. 
none of us know why. We don't know the backstory. And so what does that do? It opens up speculation to Trump supporters, right. that it's a conspiracy that he's being targeted. And then it allows the people that aren't Trump supporters to say, see, we told you so. So I'm all for, let's get it all out in the open and then, then we can be done with it. But it is interesting. Uh, we've never had a president that took records, as far as I know, that were supposed to be government. Because uh, everything the president does is government property. Right. And all of his notes, all of his emails, all of his conversations that are recorded, that's not his personal stuff. That's, that's, the, that's the product of the people. And uh, the people need to have it. Well, let, let's break it down from, from, because there's a lot of stuff going on. It's the whole thing in New York and the thing in Mar-a-Lago. So let's talk about New York first. And then I'm going to tell you as a Black person what, what my problem is, my, my first problem. You know, when former President Trump was going to the New York Attorney General's office for a deposition and civil investigation, you see him on TV uh, putting up the fist. I don't know if you saw him putting the fist up on TV yet. Yes, I did. See, he used to do the thumb, right? Like mm -hmm. thumbs up. Now, now, Bill, now, Bill, this is where Black people have a problem. Now, back uh, January the 6th, you had your boy over there, Senator Josh Hawley. You know, he was putting up, like, the, the, the power sign, the Black Fist sign, right? Yeah, the, the fist guy, sign. Remember the guy that? From, yeah, the guy from Texas. Right. The then they saw him later on running. You yeah. know, they had him running. Now, yesterday, you got President Trump sticking his fist up. Now, now, listen, those things are taken. You know, that is the Black Power uh, salute, meaning that in 1968, the Olympics, remember the 1968 Olympics when you yep. had Tommy Smith and John Carlos, they won and they were playing the national anthem and they had a Black glove on their hand and they put their fists in the air. And they paid a hefty price for it. That's the Black Power salute. We can't have Senator Josh Hawley and former President Donald Trump like Black Power, power to the people. So my, my thing is this. I think I could get Senator Hawley and former President Trump by quit using it by telling them two things. And both of them are true. That that Black fist that Odell had a poster on his wall is a sign of Black Power. So just let them know, hey, if you're raising up your fist like that, man, people might think you're in, um, you know, <laughs> Black Lives Matter. Or, oh, man. Oh, oh, or oh. let them know that they raised that fist in Mexico City in 1968 when they were playing the national anthem. So you know how Trump feels about kneeling uh, uh, Kavanaugh on the national anthem. So just say, when you raise that fist like that, man, that's black power. So I think if we can whisper that in their ears, Bill, I think it might be a little bit better if we could just whisper that. But now the next thing is this, all these investigations going on. And again, now, no one is above the law. Now, no one's below the law either. So either you believe that or not, then we have to deal with this thing, Bill, that you know, and I know well, called the rule of law. And people, let me just read it real quick for people is the political philosophy that all citizens and institutions within a country, state or community are accountable to the same laws, including lawmakers, law enforcement officers, judges, and leaders. So Bill, if we're all 
subject to the same law, do you think President Trump took documents or like some of his supporters says, well, he just took some memorabilia, Odell. And I think those are the same people who said January the 6th was just a tourist attraction at the Capitol. Well, you know, I, I heard a couple of things that he took. One of them was uh, his love letters from uh, the guy from South Korea, North Korea, from North Korea. Uh-oh. He calls okay. them love letters. The uh, right. I guess they sent each other letters and Trump took those letters and kept wow. them. And, you know, that's that's government property. I mean, I mean, I know the important to him. But, you know, if I was in his shoes, what I would do is leave it in the government property and make yourself a copy. That's a good point. How about a copy? How about him telling the truth? Yeah. Well, you know, I've I've never taken a fifth on a witness stand. I've been deposed a couple of times for a number of things. Um, And I, I would think that if you're deposed and you start taking the fifth 440 times, uh, Are you serious? He he did it 440 times, Bill. Yep, that's what it said in the news. So I don't know if the news telling the truth, but you know, even if he did it a hundred times, it's still a lot. And you know, he, some of his some of his supporters took the fifth when they were uh, questioned. In fact, one of them was questioned. One of the questions they asked him is, "Do you think uh, the the uh, people had the right to overturn the election on January 6th? And do you believe in a peaceful transition of power and they they pleaded the fifth on that wow <laughs> and i'm like whoa you know that's what america is about peaceful transition of power and you know the, the other thing that kind of bugs me and I, this isn't bashing trump but you know he'd be a big man go to the the inauguration you even go to the inauguration yeah but you know bill to your point and we're not bashing anyone we're just having a conversation one thing we know when you mentioned that the president took the fifth, well, he knows that that amendment is for all citizens who have a right not to purge themselves. So he understood that. Now, he didn't do it. Now, if you get him up there on a, a political stand or anything like that, he's up there saying everything and anything he wants to say. But obviously, he understood the Fifth Amendment, but he also understood what the Fourth Amendment does. Because the Fourth Amendment of our great country says that a search warrant is something that has to be signed by a judge or a magistrate. And of course, I don't think anybody in their right mind would sign a search warrant for President Donald Trump unless they knew what was there. And I don't think Merrick Garland would even risk his whole career at something like that. So now you see that the Fourth Amendment was the search warrant and the Fifth Amendment around pleading the fifth. So he understands that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, Bill, and maybe you know more about this than I do, when they say it's a snitch because someone in Trump world told the FBI where the stolen illegal stuff was stashed, that's kind of that's kind of project ghetto mobster stuff. That ain't, <laughs> I mean, Bill, Bill, what's going on? Mar-a-Lago? Yeah, well, you know, they, the uh, they said the FBI had been there once before looking for him, and they found these boxes, and they they didn't have a warrant to take them, uh, and so they asked that they put them in a room with a padlock, and they did. Trump's people did do that. They uh, put them in a room and locked them, and uh, it said the FBI had to come in and cut that lock off to get in that room. Uh, 
Well, I don't know who had the key to the lock. It's just interesting because someone was saying, well, they didn't have to go and uh, raid his home. They could have gotten a deposition and the president would have turned everything over and all this. And I'm saying, Bill, it's a search warrant, a search warrant, a legal search warrant, the same kind of search warrant, search warrant that Breonna Taylor was issued. But now, again, like Breonna Taylor, and you're familiar with that, the black female who got shot five times when the police in uh, Kentucky, Louisville mm -hmm. Metro Police Department came and shot her up on March 13, 2020. Now, it was based on some false information in the search warrant. Now, that's why you stated earlier that it's so important for us to look at the search warrant for Mar-a-Lago because sometimes it is false information in the search warrant. But I don't think everyone got all upset when Breonna Taylor's search ended in her being dead. So the president didn't get shot. The president, he wasn't even there. You know, he wasn't even there. So back to your point of once the search warrant is released, and we find out what's inside of it to give them due cause or not. And if they broke the law, then Merrick Garland and everybody else involved should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Just like what they're finding out with the individuals on the whole thing with Breonna Taylor search warrant. However, Bill, to your point, what if everything is above board and everything is legal, then what do we do with a president who stole things from the White House? Well, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. Um, you know, the uh, when I was working for a congressman, he had in files in Cleveland, you know, because I was a congressional aide, I got to see everything. He had letters from Jerry Ford, Ted Kennedy, wow. uh, you know, Jerry Ford, when he wasn't president, he was, I think he was Speaker of the House then, uh, or a majority leader. Uh, and um, those things were not for us to take. Uh, we were told those are public documents and we could look at them. Uh, they didn't even want us to make copies of them uh, for it. I remember I got, I got called in by the FBI. I was working, wow. at, I was working at Wilson sporting goods at the time I moved from Cleveland to Chicago. I had stopped working for this Congressman for uh, it might've been two or three years. And I get a call from the FBI. I was in Chicago from the FBI in Chicago office. And they said, uh, we want you to come down to the FBI office in downtown Chicago, uh, we want to ask you a few questions about this congressman. Bill, how do they know how to get in touch with you, man? The FBI? I, ha I have no idea how they found me. I have no idea how they found me because I was, I was out of Cleveland for a couple of years then, and they contacted me at work uh, at Wilson Sporting Goods, and they went through the legal counsel of Wilson Sporting Goods. And, so, and I got I got a call into the, my boss. It was yeah. a, guy, a guy I didn't know who turns out to be a lawyer for Wilson Sporting Goods. And he goes, uh, we have a little problem here. And I said, and I'm thinking, OK, I know it's my boss. I don't know who the other guy is. And I said, well, what's the problem? I, I mean, I didn't take any Wilson footballs or any basketballs or anything. I'm thinking, what what have I done? And they said, well, we've been contacted by the FBI about you. And I'm thinking, holy cow. And you want to talk about a young kid. I was in my twenties, late twenties. I was, I was nervous. And they, and I said, well, what, what's the reason? And they said, they want to talk to you about this congressman and some things that went on in the office that you might be aware of. And we're doing an investigation. 
so this guy finally identified himself as a lawyer for Wilson Sporting Goods. And I said, well, is this going to cost my job? And they said, no, no, not at all. Uh, we just, we're following protocol. If the FBI wants us to uh, have you be available, we are going to make you available. Now you have an option not to do it, but I would highly encourage you to cooperate. And I said, do you have any idea what, what they're going to ask me or anything? And he goes, nope. They just said they want you to come down to have some questions. So I remember going downtown Chicago. You want to talk about nervous by myself. I didn't have legal counsel. And uh, I sat there and there were two FBI agents and uh, they start, and it was, they started asking me a bunch of questions about this guy. I won't go into the details. And I knew a little bit about what was going on. I knew a little bit, but it was obvious that, that I didn't know enough that it was worth their while. So they left me alone. Uh, and nothing ever happened to the congressman, as far as I know. Uh, but, you know, they they do follow protocol. They do follow protocol. Uh, so there's 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 a way that the government does things. You know, one of the things that I, I worry about is cleaning out the swamp. OK, that was one of the big things that Trump talked about. He's going to drain the swamp. And I, I agree with that. I think there's probably. But my version of draining the swamp is let's make the government more efficient, right? Let's make it run more like a business as opposed to the way it's run. And uh, so that was my, my take on it. I think the Trump administration was let's get rid of all these people and put our people in there. And, and when you, you you and I know what happens if you, you run a ministry and I run businesses, you want people that are on your side. So I can understand that, you become president. And if you haven't been part of the Washington establishment, you don't know who to trust. You don't know who's going to work, who's not going to work. Um, you know, when he, when Trump got Rex Tillerson as secretary of state, I know Rex and Rex is a straight guy, straight shooter. And uh, he is a tough businessman. You know, he's been all over the world. He was chairman of the board and president of ExxonMobil, probably the second or first largest corporation in the world. And uh, knows all these uh, leaders in the country and around the world because of oil, including Putin. If you if you listen, there's a book out uh, by Woodward. I forgot the name of it, but uh, in chapter three of that book talks all about Rex Tillerson and how Trump uh, was Dr. Robert Gates, who's another president of the Boy Scouts, as does as Rex. Gates, uh, he called uh, Trump's people called Gates and uh, Gates came down to Trump Tower and talked to him and said, hey, you need to talk to this guy about secretary of state, this guy, Rex Tillerson. And Trump goes, I don't know who that is. I've never heard of the guy. And so he explained who he was. So Rex got an invite and he had retired from ExxonMobil and uh, his wife, he didn't want to do it. But his wife said, look, at the president of the United States calls, you have service to the country and a duty to the country to at least go and see what he wants. So he went down there and Trump fell in love with the guy. And, you know, he's, he, when you meet him, he's, he's the real deal. And so Trump asked him about Putin and uh, Rex has been on Putin's private yacht alone and has talked to him many times and it actually received uh, the highest award out of Russia. Uh, and uh, so Trump was very enamored by him and he hired him because he wasn't a, uh, career state department person or career politician. 
And Rex went in and tried to change the State Department and do more, uh, make it more run like a business. And the State Department pushed back big time on it. In the meantime, Rex was doing his thing and he would sit in some of those meetings that crazy things were talked about and he, he pushed back. And uh, he ended up getting fired by a tweet from Trump when Rex was in Africa. Mm. So, you know, I, I know... I know Rex. I don't know Trump. I can tell you Rex is a real guy. And the fact that he didn't last there makes me question. I was real happy when he hired him because I said, Oh man, this is a good, this is a good hire. In fact, Trump had a bunch of Eagle scouts on his, in his cabinet and uh, right underneath him. And uh, so I was, I was encouraged that he was going to turn around the country and run it like a business. Now he did a lot of good things. Trump did. I mean, there's, he did things with Israel. He did some, a bunch of other stuff, uh, but all the extracurricular stuff, even now he's not even in office and we're still dealing with it. Well, but Bill, I think one of the things that the New York attorney general's office with his deposition was talking about is the Trump organization. So we say the presidency, but let's look at before the presidency when he talked about the misstated, the values of prize assets, like what, the golf course and skyscrapers and misleading lenders and tax authorities. You know, that's what he was in New York about, whether it's a civil or a criminal trial, it looked like they're running both at the same time. So for someone to go through all that, the attorney general, I think the young lady name is Latia James, attorney general Latia James. So now Trump has to go there and ask questions, answer questions and now when you start looking at what's going on in Mar-a-Lago, it's two totally different things. You know, how are you going to deal with that? And I think you said that boxes were found and some things were found. So I haven't been that up on it. But, I mean, it's happening so fast. It's happening by the hour, you know? And what do you do? And at the same time, people talking about, well, it's, it's a snitch there. Someone told them, uh, wait a minute. You know, this is United States of America. We all want the truth because no one, like we said, no one's above the truth and no one's below the truth. But it's like, well, someone snitched on him. That's the kind of stuff, Bill, that that's crazy stuff. Yeah. I think if we're at the point now talking to the White House and someone snitching on the former president for stealing stuff out of the White House, then this country has went way too far. Yeah. Well, I don't think he stole pens. I don't think that's what they're worried about. I think I think it was something fairly significant, or they wouldn't be going after it. Uh, but we'll find out. I think it will come out. You know, it's interesting if you compare it to Watergate. Uh, the the cover up of Watergate was bigger than the break in. Yeah, yeah. And and it then it if he had just said, yeah, we did it. We're sorry, you know, people get prosecuted. It gets done and over with. But to continue to cover up dragged all these other people into it and then the house of cards falls apart um you know there's some there's still a lot of people out there that have these uh theories about five people in the world controlling everything and uh the money supply and businesses and you know i i think about that from a common sense standpoint how how realistic is that that five people or even you know a hundred people can control the whole world economies i i just don't you know if they can they're 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 pretty they're got pretty smart people because i don't know how you can do it it's kind of like a james bond movie you know they have that one villain yeah that they have to do so 
I think people get carried away with that kind of stuff and uh, as opposed to using common sense. But the bottom line is we got to get to the bottom of it. We yeah. got We got it. We, you know, as you know, in the Bible, it says things that are exposed to light eliminate the evil. Right. And right. we're just trying to expose things to light. Right. Our president, our ex-president says that it's a political witch hunt. Uh, liberal left wing uh, media don't want him to run again. And they're trying to destroy Trump because it's interesting how he talks about himself in the third person from time to time. And it's like everything's a political witch hunt. And it reminds me of when I was in school and I didn't do some of the things I was supposed to do. You could always have that, that excuse. The teacher just don't like me. And that might be true. The teacher probably didn't like you, Odell, but maybe the teacher didn't like you because you didn't do your homework. Maybe the teacher didn't like you because you didn't behave. Maybe well, the teacher didn't like you for a lot of different reasons, not just the teacher didn't like me. So everything is, well, it's a political witch hunt. It's a political witch hunt. And everybody say, yeah, man, they just after Trump. They after Trump. Like Trump is innocent and he's maybe even a victim in a lot of people's eyes. Well, you're 62. I'm 72. Think about all the times we've gotten in trouble. Whose fault was it? About 95% of the time. It was ours. Made the wrong decisions. We made exactly. bad decisions. Yep. I made a bad decision. And the best thing you can do is own up to it and take your licks and learn from it and move on. You know, I've learned more from my mistakes than anything. And, you know, he might've made some mistakes and I don't think he's willing to own up to it. And, uh, you know, it's funny as you go through human nature, you look at people that have uh, been collapsed or fallen down or uh, they've all, it's all self-inflicted. Well, Bill, you made a good point. It's almost like dishonest, dishonest politicians. You know, back in the days, they had this meters. These we, They call them liar meters, either called pants on fire or the Pinocchio press. You know what I mean? It's like, how big would some candidates' nose grow if it was like Pinocchio that grew every time they told a lie? You know, and I'm not calling anybody a lie. I'm just saying we used to count that. And we would discount people if they got caught in a lie or they weren't um, honest. But I think there's a point now where it's like, okay, yeah, y'all caught me in a lie, so what? What are you gonna do? You know, what are you gonna do? Yeah, well, you know, unfortunately, you know, when you're a president, um, you're immune to all this stuff. They can't touch you. You know, that's a good thing and a bad thing because you don't want the president tied down with all kinds of frivolous lawsuits and craziness. That was the intent of it. The intent wasn't to let people run wild, you know, people that allowed to run wild. It's kind of crazy. Hey, did you see on that? Uh, I don't know what it's called. Uh, it might be CPAC the the convention they had down, I think it was in Texas, uh, the uh, conservative group. Uh, they, in, I was, they had a couple, uh, you know, Mark Robinson went down and spoke and uh, Mark, you know, Mark uh, Walker used to go down. I don't know if he still does, but it's a conservative pack. Uh-huh. And one of the things they they showed some of the exhibits, and one of the exhibits was they had a mock jail cell with a guy sitting in it in an orange jump seat, and it was in honor of those people from January sixth that have been incarcerated without due justice or a court date, and the guy was wearing a Trump hat, 
Wow. And, and, and he was crying because he was being persecuted. And I'm thinking, what in the world is that all about? So they won't let that go. So in their mind, in some mind, not all, January 6th were patriots yep. who were doing what's going on and they're being falsely. So, so, so they're not even acknowledging that what happened on January 6th was illegal. No, that's, they view it as a patriotic act, kind of like uh, the Tea Party was. Wow. You know, and, you know, how, how do you change that? How do you yeah, change that? And, and I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm sorry for my, my, my buddy, Mark Robinson, because, you know, the lieutenant governor of North Carolina, you said he was down there speaking. Yes. You know, I, I saw something the other day, uh, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, about, you know, past financial woes and delinquent Guilford County vehicle tax taxes, I think it's like $1,200. And that happened on vehicles, you know, it, it happens. But then they went on and started talking about three bankruptcies, one in 1998, one in 1999, and 2003. And all that could happen too. Don't get me wrong. People have bankruptcies. That's not an issue. Then they talked about seven years of unpaid federal income taxes, court records show. Now, Bill, I think Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson has already stated that he's going to run for governor. He would like to run for governor. But also, my contacts in Raleigh are telling me that Phil Berger is trying to position to run for governor. So I'm thinking maybe, just maybe, all this stuff is coming out about Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, someone who I like. I personally like the guy. And it's like his video is like, well, I'm not good with money. You know, it's like, that's not a good answer if you want to be the governor of North Carolina, <laughs> if that's your response. To, exactly. So you're laughing. Yeah. And when I heard it, I'm like, wow, man. You know, so what I will say to my, I ain't going to say my good friend, but a guy who I admire, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, and his financial woes and his desire to be the next governor of the state of North Carolina I would say to him, my Senator Josh Hawley or my former President Donald Trump, fist pumping there, hey, black power, brother, more power to you. I raise my hand to you, more power to you. But you better look out for some of those Republicans. You better watch your back because I think a lot of this stuff is being leaked within his own party to continue to make him look bad so that he does not get the support of people because, you know, those those campaign ads get real nasty and it's out there that he's like, I don't I don't do well with money. So you imagine what the campaign ads are going to be like. And I'm talking about the ones running against each other in the Republican primary. I'm not even talking about the general against uh, probably uh, Josh Stein, probably going to be the one, you know, running for from the Democrat side, but even from the Republican side, because I know how it was with uh, our friend, Congressman Walk Walker, Ted Budd, and the ex-governor down in Charlotte. What was his name again? McCory, McCory. Yeah, McCory. That got nasty. And those were, that was the Republican primary. All that got nasty. So I think the Republican primary for governor of North Carolina is going to get nasty too. And I think we're going to see uh, these comments and these remarks from Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson again because I think there's a lot of people in this party like him, but I don't know if they like him enough for him to be the governor of the great state of North Carolina representing the Republicans. What say you, my friend? Um, I don't think he'd be a good representative for our, our state. 
you know, we, we just were voted the number one state for business friendly uh, in the country. And it, it, it's reflected in the businesses that are coming in, Toyota and Boom and, and uh, the electric car company that's coming over there. And now they're talking about possibly having semiconductors made here. You know, business makes an economy run. Business right. gives people jobs. Right. Uh, we've kind of transitioned from this uh, Mar-a-Lago thing, but I think it's a good transition. I think, you know, it, it, you need businesses and businesses don't like controversy. They don't like the stuff that's going on in Mar-a-Lago because they don't, they don't want to be mixed up with it because what happens is if you become a controversial company, guess what? Your consumers walk away from you. Wow. And you don't, you don't want to do that. You work for some of the largest companies in the world, right? Yeah. Uh, or Unilever, which is, I don't know, 60 or $70 billion company. And, you know, we, we were, in fact, the, it's interesting. We were, we were, we were coached on how to stay neutral, how to stay out of it. And uh, they did not like uh, the fact if we were, if we were going to run for a political office, they didn't want us to be associated with the company uh, because guaranteed when you run for political office, there's a certain percentage of people that are not going to like you. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's few politicians that cover all the ground. That everybody goes, that's a great guy. Right. Okay. Uh, those days are gone. Uh, they used to be around, but they, there are not many statesmen's left. So my point at saying all that one thing is we need a government that's going to continue on this business friendly environment that will help jobs in our area and it jobs and businesses pay taxes. And that's what keeps the roads up keeps the fire departments going, the police departments, pays for you know, the sewer systems, you know, all that infrastructure that costs a lot of money. The only way you do that is taxes. I remember uh, Roy Carroll, he's a good friend of you and I, he owns a lot of real estate in, in town. And uh, I remember him tweeting one time, he says, well, I just signed my tax bill for Guilford County. It was $20 million. Wow. It's a lot of money. You know, when you think about that, um, as you know, and I guess we are bouncing around now, but, you know, we're okay with it. I'm a big supporter of Mayor Nancy Vaughn, and she won the mayoral race, and it was close, but we won. And she's done a good job. Now, everybody don't always like her, but she's somewhat controversial, but she's done a good job. And all those companies that you just named came here under her leadership. Now, it wasn't just her, of course, but at the same time, they have to feel good. Because I think one of the questions on the uh, perspective sheet, if I'm a company coming here, well, who's the mayor of Greensboro? You know, I, I'm, I'm sure is who's the mayor? Who are the leaders? Yeah, exactly. Who are the leaders? Who's the leaders other than Bill and Odell with that great show, <laughs> you know, Common Ground, the fastest growing podcast in the triad. And how many how many countries are we in, cities we're in, Bill? We're in 35 countries in every every state of the union. Yeah. So other than checking us, check, check for Odell and Bill, what else would they check for? Yeah. Well, you, you got to have a climate that is business friendly and uh, that involves a lot of different things, but it starts out with the political environment because the politicians are the ones that uh, can control taxes. So it's interesting how that happens. Hey, listen, we're getting near the end. I did want to ask you a question on uh, September 14th. You and I are going to be together at the um, 
RBC Center, which is where NC State plays basketball. Yeah. And we're going to listen to President Bush speak for the Boy Scouts at the Raleigh Council. And I'm anxious for you to come there and meet some of my friends uh, from from scouting and meet Temple Sloan is they're honoring him. And Temple's just a great guy. Uh, He owned CarQuest and sold it for a bunch of money. Uh, And he now he's got a couple other companies he started up and uh, he's in his 80s. Uh, but a real, real nice guy, uh, tough businessman, tough businessman. But in, when it comes to scouting, he's got a real soft heart um, and he's given a lot to scouting. And we've tried to honor him for probably 15 years. And he's he's stiffed on us every time he doesn't want any recognition. And uh, I think he's at the point now uh, he felt that if he was being recognized, it may help scouting. So he's willing to do it. And they got President Bush to come and be the keynote speaker. That's powerful. I look forward to that. Uh, I like President Bush. You know, a lot of these guys, back in the day, you had President Bush and you had Dick Cheney. Now, I thought Cheney was a mess when he was in office. But now, when you look at Cheney and his daughter, you know, I'm a fan. Now, of course, I won't go hunting with him because I didn't think he would shoot somebody. <laughs> yeah, he shot somebody by accident. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. here's the good news. Because he was vice president and he had a bad heart, he had a medical team with him all the time. So they were to take care of him real quick. <laughs> so when he shot the guy, they took care of him. Oh, yeah. You know, Bill, what you think now, and I know we have to go. When you think now of a true patriot, we hear that word thrown around in the true American. When you think about Senator John McCain, whether you agree or disagree, Senator John McCain was a maverick and he always looked out for what was good for the country. And you have to honor that. You just have to honor that even when he was dying, he got off his sick bed to come help cast a vote that many of us believe meant all the difference in the world to this country. And I remember McCain looking at uh, Mitch McConnell who was representing Donald Trump at the time and Donald Trump's full power, wanting to uh, destroy Obamacare. And Senator McCain hobbled out on the floor, looked at Mitch McConnell in his eyes and took his thumbs up and turned it down to a thumbs down. And with that, we can say, amen. That's a true American, one who puts the country above self And the politics, we all understand politics and contact sport. But I think John McCain, who spent time as a prisoner of war, understood it better than many of us have. Yeah, being a prisoner of war, I can't imagine what that's like. Well, Odell, I look forward to uh, our next podcast. Uh, We'll uh, got some more guests coming on that are pretty exciting. And uh, thank you for, uh, for talking about this today. Hey, it's good stuff, man. Everybody's talking about it. You yeah. know, we got a snitch. We got a snitch in Trump world. So we got to find the snitch. We got a rat. Didn't that's what we used to call it back in the days, Bill? Oh, yeah. A snitch or a yeah. rat. Yeah. yeah. You know, but I thought we was talking about mobsters or ghetto stuff. I didn't know we were talking about White Houses, but, you know, the language follow the people. Yeah, it sure does. Okay, buddy. Love you, man. Love you, too. Talk to you later. Okay, bye-bye. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, executive producer. Jeremy Powell, creative director. Jacob Sutherland, director. All rights reserved. 
This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best-read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. 